I've never seen anything like it. A dead body in a church, next to a single handbell. Dent in the skull matches the dent in the bell. But who would do such a thing? Well, what would the motive be? And why a handbell? You know, I recognize Old Man Smith. He single-handedly funded our handbell choir. You obviously aren't up on your church music. Handbell choirs always have gloves on to ring the bells. No prints on the weapon. Makes for a perfect crime. So, it's a member of the choir? Maybe. Or someone who knows them. Hey, uh, do me a favor. What's the Hertz rating on that bell? It's 446. Why? (laughs) Well, this is a first. Looks like our cause of death is B-flat. Hello there, and welcome to The Road to Nicaea, Christ, Creed, and Controversy in the Turbulent Fourth Century, part of the Earth and Altar Podcast Network. You've been hearing for a while now about the supposed crimes of Athanasius. He has been hounded by accusations since the Council of Tyre all the way back in 337. He mistreated the Miletians in his city. He had been illegally ordained to the bishopric. He threatened imperial grain shipments. He murdered people for fun and cut off their hands to use in black magic rituals. Now, of those charges, Athanasius was able to refute the last one pretty definitively by showing up to the council with the guy he was supposed to have murdered. But the other charges around his misbehavior while in Alexandria had a way of sticking. They followed Athanasius throughout his entire life. His allies tended to disbelieve those charges. His enemies brought them up every chance they got. In fact, this was the main reason why Athanasius was sidelined from so many of the important councils during the middle years of the controversy. Bishops kept refusing to be seated next to someone who had been convicted and deposed of his office. Which might make you wonder what the truth of the matter is. After all, Athanasius is a saint of the church. He wrote some of the most important theological works of all time, works we still read today. Are we reading the words of a persecuted saint, a cynical mob boss, or of a person in between those two extremes? Today, we're going to be taking a look at just that question, and it's all because of friend of the podcast, the Reverend Dr. Dwayne Arnold. Dwayne actually completed a PhD on the charges against Athanasius and very graciously gifted me a copy of his book, on which this episode heavily relies. So thank you to Dwayne for making this episode possible. And also, sorry for what I'm about to do to your dissertation. For you see, I'm not going to be able to go on in usual fashion today. Ben Wyatt, mild-mannered priest and podcaster, doesn't have the stomach for these kind of tough investigations. That's why I've had to call in my alter ego, Benny Y, private eye. In the ecclesiastical legal courts, crimes committed by ancient saints are considered especially heinous. That's why I serve among an elite few who make up the forces of canon law and order, Sanctified Victims Unit. 
These are our stories. My first stop was to a grizzled historian by the name of Philostagrius, who lived on the wrong side of the doctrinal tracks. The word at the cathedral is that he's nothing more than a stooge for the Arians, but he's the only guy in town with a full account of what went down when hands went down on the defendant. I met him in his office. The light in his eyes was dying, like the light at the end of my cigarette. It was an inside job. See, the bishops all met together to choose who'd get the big chair in Alexandria, but they couldn't agree. So Athanasius, see, he finds two bishops who like him, and he pulls them into a church and locks the door, and they consecrate him right there, on the spot. What did the other bishops do when they found out? Oh, they all anathemized him on the spot. You really expect me to believe that a hundred or so bishops all condemned Athanasius and nobody heard about it till you came along? You see, this is why Athanasius is such a snake. He wrote letters to the Emperor Constantine on behalf of whole council saying he'd been elected, and Constantine went ahead and signed them without asking any questions. He's a busy man, after all. And once he learns of the deception? Well, then Constantine hears about what actually went down, right? So he tells Athanasius to get his keys to up to Tyre to explain what actually happened. That's when the real story came out. That's what got Athanasius deposed. Hmm. Council of Tyre was held in 335. Athanasius was elected in 328. You're telling me it took Emperor Constantine seven years to figure out he might have been hoodwinked? Like I said, he's a busy man. Uh-huh. I see in your statement here you say that Athanasius was replaced by George of Cappadocia in 335. That's right. I have here the signed certificate of George's bishopric. It's from 341, not 335. And you'll notice that it's from the Council of Antioch not the Council of Tyre. It's not a good idea to be dishonest with me, Phil. You're a clever kid, I'll give you that. Where were you on the night of May 9th, 328? Uh, I was... Nowhere. That's right, because you weren't even born yet. Your fancy history book was written a century after the fact. You weren't there, which means... Somebody told you. Yeah, I'm gonna need the name of your sources now, kid. Well there, Mr. Private Eye. Let me just say this about my sources. There was a time when they were not. And if you keep digging around, there's gonna be a time when you are not. This wasn't my first rodeo. And I wasn't about to be put off by threats from some second-rate historian. Especially one who's been dead for about 1,600 years. But with his mouth tied up tighter than a subway schedule at rush hour, my options were limited. I tracked down a few of his Aryan flunkies, thought they might give me the connection Philostagrius wouldn't. But that was a dead end. One of them said two bishops were involved, the other said seven. Athanasius sure is a lucky guy. His opponents are mean enough to lie, but dumb enough not to check their stories. It's only fair to hear from the other side of the aisle, too. So I tracked down one of Athanasius's best friends, figured I'd see what they said about this whole election. State your name for the record, please. 
Gregory of Nazianzus, or if you'd prefer, Gregory the Theologian, or Metropolitan Gregory, Patriarch of Constantinople. I'm just going to call you Greg. Well, I would really prefer... I, I ask the questions here. So, you gave the eulogy at your buddy Athanasius's funeral, correct? That's right. In fact, I'm widely regarded as the greatest orator of my age, so... Can you tell me what you said about Athanasius's election, then? Sure. He was made bishop by the vote of the whole people. Not like all the terrible elections that happen nowadays. No bloodshed, no oppression, no matter what those Arians tell you. But in an apostolic and spiritual manner. Define apostolic and spiritual. No. Okay. Does apostolic and spiritual include a valid election in the Alexandrian tradition? Absolutely. That's, that's what I needed to know. Thanks. Because the Alexandrian tradition goes back to St. Mark, and those who follow in St. Mark's doctrine and teach the Blessed Trinity correctly are his true successors. It's not the man of contrary opinions, but the one who holds to the same opinions. So yes, Athanasius is the true valid successor. Uh, okay. The way you put it makes me think that he wasn't the literal valid successor. Oh, he definitely was. In fact, all the people of the church gathered at the time and cried, practically shouted, that Athanasius needed to be their bishop. And they all kept calling him the absolute best. Good, pious, Christian, a true self-denier, a genuine bishop, the real deal. Greg, what's that paper in your hand? Oh, that's nothing. Just some personal notes. That's a letter from Athanasius about his own election. Have you just based your entire testimony on what your friend told you? Listen, man, I wasn't there at his consecration. I had better things to do. I tried talking to some fellow ancient historian private eyes. Then I remembered why I don't talk to colleagues. Zombie ordinations. What? What? Zombie ordinations, man. That's what they did in Alexandria. Because you gotta be a bishop to make a bishop. R right. And since there's no bishop in Alexandria... You gotta use the one who just dropped. They would get the corpse and move its hands so they lay on the new guy's head. Zombie consecration. Now I was at a crossroads. Listening to the Arians made me think Athanasius was blameless. Listening to his buddy made me think something was rotten with his ascension. Listening to the historians made me want to drop this whole file in a trash can and walk away. This election had the same problem as a guy from the Bronx complimenting Brooklyn. Nobody who witnessed it was alive to tell the tale. It was about time to check in with some of my co-detectives. It was time to turn to another historian of ancient happenings, Epiphanius of Salamis. So, Epiphanius, help me out here. The Arians are screaming that Athanasius stole his office. His buddies say he's blameless. Nobody's giving me a straight answer. 
There's got to be more to this puzzle, but for the life of me, I, I can't see it. The missing puzzle piece is like your mustache, my friend. Right under your nose. And all the harder to see because of it. What, did they use the wrong incense at the service? Think, Ben. Who were Athanasius's real enemies in 328? Not the Aryans, they weren't a political force yet. And they were farther away. Who was in his backyard? Who had a bone to pick with Alexander? Who would have hated to see his successor on the throne? The Miletians. Boom. Remember, the Miletians got booted from power. They could only hold office if they got a regular bishop to sign on to their ministry. So they hated Alexander, the guy who had engineered this. Now he dies and... And they try to get their own candidate installed as Bishop of Alexandria. Exactly. Athanasius is out of town when Alexander kicks the bucket. Alexandrians like to have their bishop right away. Keeps the civil unrest down, you know. So the Miletians use that as an excuse to elect their own bishop. Tell me about it. It's crazy. I met this one guy who said they consecrated the new bishop by laying the dead bishop's hands on him. What? No. But who would do that? I don't know, man. Church is weird. The solution was hitting me just as hard as the third old-fashioned I'd bought to keep Epiphanius talking. Alexander dies. Athanasius is out of town. The Miletians push their own guy forward, saying they gotta have someone right now. The other bishops get wind of it and expel the Miletians for breaking the rules. Athanasius comes back, gets elected, upholds the ban on the Miletians, and takes all the blame for the scurrilous circumstances of the last few years. So the defense on this charge is looking pretty good. But Athanasius isn't out of the woods yet. There are a few stops left on this investigative subway, and we are about to hit the major interchange, his treatment of the Miletians. The Miletians are a funny bunch, they're one of those splinter groups that refused to have any truck with the traitors of the Great Persecution. Miletius was their guy. Rumors say he was a martyr bishop who went around ordaining priests for other dioceses when their bishops didn't have the stones to show their faces. Lots of bad blood between them and the Alexandrian bishops, Athanasius very much included. This so-called saint apparently made no end of trouble for these folks. Allegations include arbitrary detentions, inciting mobs to violence, and unjust deposition. These charges were like a year-old piece of gum on a sidewalk on a hot summer day. They stuck. Athanasius got hounded with these accusations for most of his career, and even after his death, his friends were giving his reputation a facelift. Apparently, this saint of the church was no angel. One of the foremost private eyes in the ancient crimes biz, Francis Young, says that, quote, there appears to have been a pitiless streak in Athanasius's character, end quote. But Benny Y doesn't base his conclusions on hearsay. I needed to see the actual evidence, and exhibits A, B, and C in the prosecution's case boil down to one document, the London Papyrus, 1914. A scholar named Sir Harold Bell announced that this document reopened the cold case of Athanasius's conduct and blew it wide open. I sat down with Bell for an interview. 
Maybe this was the missing link that would tie it all together. So here's the deal. This letter is written by a Miletian monk named Callistus. He's telling other Miletians about Athanasius, and it is bad news. May 19th, 335, there's an attack on a historically Miletian suburb of Alexandria. During that time, the adherents of Athanasius showed up and tried to kidnap a bishop who was visiting. And what happened then? The bishop got away, ran to a local inn, but the mob followed him, see? They started roughing up the innkeeper, caused massive civil unrest. And you think Athanasius was behind it? There is adherence. At the very least, he did nothing to stop it. All right. So that's one potential count of assault and battery. What else does the document say? Oh, it's more than one count. We know that somebody was arresting bishops and throwing them in the meat markets. The meat market? Sounds more like paradise than prison to me. I I don't know, man. Maybe the bishop was vegan. So anyway, there were other clerics who got arrested and whipped, and seven bishops got exiled, all for being Miletian. And the someone who did this is Athanasius? Sure. Why not? I mean... Probably. Basically, definitely. That doesn't sound very sure to me. Well, so you know how papyri are really old, right? Yes. So, this one may be kinda sorta damaged on a few lines, and maybe we don't actually know who the subject of that part of the letter is, because that part is destroyed. So it could be anyone. Technically, yeah. But not really. I mean, definitely not. Athanasius has been the subject of the rest of the letter, so he's definitely the subject of this part, too. Belle's story reminded me of most of the hot dog stands in this town. What they're selling tastes good going down, but every so often you get a product that didn't deserve the presumption of innocence. Questions were swirling through my head like a spilled cup of joe in a rainstorm. Could it really be that cut and dry? Was Athanasius the subject of that last bit of the letter? If not, who else could it be? Would a saint of the church really be telling hitmen to go rough up his rivals? Would a Miletian lie about Athanasius even when nobody was looking? And if not, How do we explain this behavior? Back in my office, I sipped moodily on my gin and tonic and tried to put all of these pieces together. Nicene canons, rogue bishops, violence, exile, theology, and politics. This story has more loose ends than a 20-year-old Talit Gadol. When we know so little, there's only one place to start. With what we know for sure. And as I considered it, I was hit with a revelation as pure as any of the Gospels. I burst out of my door and raced down the street. This argument couldn't wait. Stop the court! Stop the court! I've got something to say! This isn't a court. I'm sorry, Your Honor. I'm, I'm no lawyer. I'm just a private eye. I don't know all of your fancy Latin legal terms. I may not know how you keep order in your court. Yeah, I'm I'm not a judge. I, I don't know any of that stuff either. But what I know is the truth. 
I've spent my life prying it out of ornery eyewitnesses, ferreting it out of discarded evidence. And here's what I have learned about St. Athanasius. We're all here today because we want the answer to the same question. Is he a saint or a sinner? Was the church's doctrine guarded for so long by an angel among men or by an unscrupulous mob boss in a mitre? Well, I've dug through all the evidence. I've interviewed all the witnesses. And I'm here to tell you the honest truth. We don't know for sure. Look at this pathetic excuse for a trial. Again, not a trial. What is our evidence? A letter that's missing key paragraphs. Accusations from enemies. Defenses from friends. What courtroom would think these prove anything beyond a reasonable doubt? Ben... This is not a courtroom. And the eyewitnesses? All hearsay upon hearsay upon hearsay. Most of them were born decades, even a hundred years after the event. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Not the jury! If you really want to know what happened in those fateful early years of Athanasius's reign, you're going to need more than opinions and hearsay. You're going to need facts. And what are the facts? Simply these, ladies and gentlemen that within a decade of the Council of Nicaea, its biggest Episcopal supporters are all deposed. Whether for heresy or misbehavior, isn't it awfully convenient that only the Council's supporters get this kind of treatment? The prosecution has already overreached its hand once. We all know how those murder charges panned out for them. Now they've come back with more believable charges, irregularities in ordination, abuse of the Miletians, But here is what we know. In those first few years, about a third of all Miletian bishops are restored to ministry. Athanasius puts them back into communion. Does that sound like the behavior of a man who throws clerics into prison for disagreeing with him? Do mob bosses let their rivals keep practicing on their own turf? And don't let them fool you about the ordination business. We don't even know what the practices were. Other private eyes will tell you about zombie consecrations. That's how little we know here. The prosecution's case rests on a star witness who is in the Aryan's pocket and wouldn't be born for almost a hundred years after the case. Do we know for sure that he is innocent? No. No, we don't. I can't explain every detail of the London papyrus. I can't tell you why the charges kept sticking. But we can't know that he was guilty, either. And there is a lot of good evidence that he wasn't. So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I submit to you the real question is, should we deprive the defendant of his good name and his Episcopal title on the basis of hearsay and rumor? (laughs) That's not justice I want to be a part of. That's not any justice at all. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I submit to you that the only verdict you can render is probably, mostly not guilty innocent by insufficient evidence. And with that, Your Honor, I, I rest my case. Take me into custody for contempt of court if you like. I've, I've said my piece. Ben, baby, are you okay? Huh? This is the third time you've interrupted a Zoom call with your friends to monologue. If you keep doing this, we're going to stop inviting you. But, but you believe me, right? You understand what I mean about Athanasius and his conduct and his character? I, I did a good job, right? Let, let, can, let's just drop this. Anybody want to play Among Us? 
Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. 100%. Finally. Thanks very much to you, dear listeners, for indulging me in this episode. A special word of thanks goes out to our cast of characters for today. The Reverend Micah Cronin as Philistagrius, the Reverend Martin Geiger as Witness Number One and Gregory of Nazianzus, the Reverend Caitlin Darnell as Witness Number Two and Epiphanius, the Reverend Kira Austin Young as Witness Number Three and Zombie Historian, the Reverend Canon Jordan Trumbull as Bell, the Reverend Cody Manus as the Judge and himself. And now, enjoy some blooper content. This wasn't my first rodeo, and I wasn't oh, about Micah, to be put off by threats from some second-rate historian, Micah. especially one who's been Micah. dead for about 1,600 years. But with his mouth tied up tighter than a subway schedule at rush Micah, hour, my options were limited. I tracked down a few of his Aryan flunkies, though they might give... We are still recording, so anything you say may be, uh, you know, used in a Title IV trial. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't challenge her to a push-up contest. Size is the prize. This is an Earth and Alter Podcast Network production. For more podcasts and weekly articles, visit us at earthandaltermag.com.